Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more important in this life, your life, the one that you're living right now, than your soul. Serving is vital to function. Serving is vital to the church. Serving is vital to the family. Serving is vital to you as an individual. Amen, amen. You may, well, grab your Bibles for your seat. Let's get right into the lesson today. Amen. I want to make sure that we have plenty of time here to finish this up cut you short on what the Lord I feel has given us today. Matthew chapter 20 verse 17. Jesus is with his disciples and obviously at least one other that is mentioned in this script this morning. Um, There could have been more I don't quite know but uh, let's read starting in verse 17. Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And he's speaking, of course, of himself in the third person here. And they will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day he will rise again. Verse 20 kind of changes the tone a little bit. Jesus is kind of finished giving the description of what's about to take place to himself. When you find this mother coming before him with two of her sons, the Bible says that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine, and the two sons that she's speaking of here are two of the three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and her two sons are James and John, and so she's speaking and referencing these two sons of hers, which Jesus loves very much. James and John are there with her mother, and she says, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom but Jesus answered and said you do not know what you ask are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with and they said to him we're able so he said to them you will indeed drink my cup And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you 
let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus Christ was willing to serve us on the cross at Calvary? To fulfill a role that none none else could fulfill? I'm glad that he was willing to say yes. I'm glad that he was willing to take on the role of serving. So I just want to speak to you today. Serving others is serving him. Serving others is serving him. You may be seated today. Thank you, Sister Graham. Outside of a few years in uh, my youth, uh, my late grade school years and my high school years up until my senior year, uh, when my grandfather passed away, I worked, uh, my, my, my secular job was um, in the service realm. Uh, the little while that I served on my grandfather's farm was um, was fun. It was very industrious. It taught me a lot. But once my grandfather passed away and the farm was divvied up between several of his children uh, and uh, uh, there really wasn't enough for a, a young man to make a living there anyway, um, I decided that it was time to move forward and try to find a job. Now, I didn't go off to college someplace, although it was in my mind to do so. I just went right to work, and uh, I, I began working in the service industry. My first job was actually in a little local pizza place, uh, not, not a pizza chain, but just a, one of our little local small-town pizza places uh, uh, in the little town that I grew up in. And uh, I, I began to uh, work in the... Um, in the kitchen, uh, I began. To, I was the the main delivery guy, and I will admit to you uh, very transparently this morning, I was not very good at it. <laughs> it really wasn't what I felt my my calling. There is a reason that there are minimum wage jobs. <laughs> Uh, I was a minimum wage employee. As a matter of fact, they were probably getting ripped off by uh, what they were paying me at minimum wage, which was a bump up from what my grandfather was paying me. I, I'll, I'll give you that. My grandfather was paying me $3 an hour on the farm, and I went to uh, work at the pizza place making $3.35 an hour. Anybody remember that? Okay. Some of you can remember even before, it was, you're like, man, I did. I, my, at one point in the history of this country, my father moved all the way up from the southern part of the state to the northern part of the state to get a great job that paid $3 and some odd cents an hour to support his family. So everything is relative. $3.35 an hour uh, when I was growing up was the minimum wage. Now, you would think that growing up in, uh, in that small uh, town of four to 5,000 people all your life that you'd know where the streets were. But quite honestly, I, I couldn't tell you where Water Street was and Kaskaskia Street was and, and uh, Main Street. Well, you know, I may have known two or three, but, but there wasn't very many streets. And so when it came time to deliver, you couldn't pull out your phone and go to GPS and type in the address like we do today and just get turn-by-turn -turn directions. No, you had to actually figure it out. And so oftentimes when they'd called in and say, hey, you've got three deliveries that need to be there as quickly as possible. And here they are. I had no clue where I was going. 
Now, I knew where the Smiths lived. I knew where the Joneses lived. I knew where the Fergusons lived. I knew where my friends lived. But if I didn't know you, I didn't have any clue where you lived. I didn't know how to get to your house. I didn't know what streets were streets, uh, the street names were, none of those things. And, and so my customers very quickly learned to either like cold pizza or be very frustrated with me. I learned to live on my base pay because tips were few and far between. <laughs> You know, have you ever gone to somebody's door and they're like, you know what, we're not even hungry anymore. We waited so long, we went ahead and put a roast in the crock pot, you know, and it got done before the pizza got here. And so uh, that, that was my story. That was my beginnings. And, but, but then about a year later, I got this big break. I was still 18 years old, still just not even a year out of high school, and, and, and I met this little uh, brunette uh, girl by the name of Lisa uh, Crossing at the time, and, and we, we fell in love, and next thing I knew, I was moving away from home, and my parents were like, let me help you pack your bag, son, there we go. Out, out you go, and, and so they, they got me on my way and, and got me settled in this little apartment, and, and I got a, a job that was a bump in pay, and I moved away from home at 18 and went to work in a shoe store selling men's dress shoes, making a whopping $135 a week. Hello, somebody. I wasn't driving a Corvette, I'll tell you that much. $135 a week to sit there and deal with Big Joe's sweaty feet as I put them into a brand new pair of $150, $200 pair of floor shines with, with my shoehorn. Hey, it was a jump in pay, and I was now a married man with a, a new wife, and I didn't want her thinking that her old man couldn't take care of her. I was now a man with a shoehorn and a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny the way the turns and the twists that, that life take you down in the course of life. And I did the best I could and tried to provide what I could. We were both working. And it's about a year later that a, a manager from another competing company offered me a job in management at another store. And so I left the store I was at and I began to climb the ladder of retail success. And I went from uh, within a year to them shutting down the store that I had just went to manage. I was like, man, this is not starting out so good. But they did offer me another position. So I, I, left, I left the store that I was in and went to uh, South St. Louis and managed a store there and got a little bump in pay. And then they finally uh, moved me over to way up north at St. Louis at an old mall that doesn't even exist anymore. But some of you may remember the Jamestown Mall. Well, right across from Chick-fil-A, oh, my first introduction to Chick-fil-A was at the Jamestown Mall. Great memories. Just like Easton the other morning, he came, he was sick for school, and he climbed up in bed and was laying there. We were just chit-chatting a little bit, and he said, Papa, he said, you, you, remember, you remember last year or a year or so ago when we used to go outside and the weather would be so hot, and we would mow the grass together? And I was like, yeah, I remember those times. He's like, he's like yeah. Good times. (laughs) 
yeah, they were probably were good times from his point of view because I had him on my shoulders, if I remember correctly, or he was standing there pretending to push the lawnmower while I was back with one arm making it twice as difficult for me. But whatever makes the kid happy, you know, I want him to grow up thinking that those are good times, you know. And so we, we look back at those times like that, and I'm, I'm now managing these shoe stores, and I'm making more money than I have ever made in my entire life managing this shoe store. Eight bucks an hour. People turn their nose up up towards that but that was that was starting to feel like okay but still now I had a baby on the way you know it seemed like every time I got a little bump up something would just come along and just take it all away and I'd wind up being right back where I was again now we got a a, a, a child on the way and and so now for the last 30 years I, I've been working for a global company and, and saying sign here please you know as I go to the door and and working for uh, this company and as it's prides itself in serving its customers and, and prides itself in going the extra mile they call it the purple promise uh, and um that's a nice way of saying get out there and work yourself to a frazzle trying to get the job done. <laughs> but we're going to make it sound nice. We're going to paint it all up and make it sound real pretty. And I, I, just the other day, I was uh, working with a, a brand new hire. Just come on board, and it was her first weekend. They, they stuck her with me uh, to uh, let her see uh, what it feels like to throw about seven tons of freight in one day. And, and uh, so uh, I had her along with me, and, and she, uh, after about an hour, began to complain that they, the day before, had put her with another courier out in the country, you know, and I'm thinking, boy, that's a whole lot easier than this, you know, and she said, but you know what, said, her air conditioner was broke down, and they said that they don't know when they're going to fix, I just don't know if I can do, do this job, and I, and I got to thinking, well, it's been nice knowing you, sister. You know, I'm thinking, you know, you're not going to last very long if all you're looking for is a comfortable, cushy job working for this company. you got to get out there and work. It's, it's sweat that gets the job done. And so I say all that to say this. The stark reality is that most people would rather receive service than give service. Most people would rather be comforted than give comfort. Most people would rather answer the door and take the pizza even if it's cold than to get out on a cold, dark, bleary, snow-laden night and, and deliver the pizza to somebody sitting in their nice, warm, and cozy home. Most people would rather sit back and let their feet air out than they would to grab a shoehorn and deal with Big Joe's bunions. You can go ahead and laugh. That makes me feel good. No, seriously, you can laugh. This is not a new concept, being on the receiving end. This is not a new concept of wanting to receive instead of give. It's not a new concept in us as, as human beings that we would rather be in a place where we are being served than doing the serving. Our flesh has been desiring to do what it wants to do uh, and when it wants to ever since Eve looked at Adam and said, try it, you'll like it. 
And ever since those days, man has been consumed uh, in large part in trying to satisfy self and trying to feed their fleshly desires and trying to give and get more things than their neighbor has. We are not in the business of serving for the most part. If ever there were men that we tried to emulate and and we do well to try to emulate them for the most part, I think that we would mostly agree that it is the disciples. But if that is our role model then I'm afraid that we will fall short at times because even the disciples sometimes missed the mark when it came to servanthood. When it came to serving. In the text this morning that we read, Jesus is describing to the disciples what's about ready to take place. The Bible says that he went with the twelve and he brought them together and he began to discuss them and he said, gentlemen... He said, we're, we're almost there. He said, but I'm going to tell you what's about ready to happen. I, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be condemned to death. And then they're going to actually follow through and I will be put to death. So who's with me? <laughs> Not much of a rallying point right there. We're going to build a brand new baseball team and we're going to go out and get the worst players that we can possibly find and then we're going to see who will support that you're not going to get much support on that are you bad news never draws people in 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 great crowds to rally around and support it now people will come hear about your bad news they'll they'll rally around that all day long as long as you don't try to include them in your dilemma And Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be condemned to death. I'm going to be mocked, scourged, and eventually I'm going to be crucified. And nobody in the crowd is fist pumping. Ooh, yeah, crucifixion. Let's do it. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's excited about what's ready to take place. But it was what he said next that grabbed their attention. He said, when all that's said and done, you wait three days and I will rise again. And that is what captivated their attention. That's what grabbed their, their, their mindset. That is what drew them back in. The ultimate comeback king, Jesus Christ. We're going to show them then, that, aren't, we, aren't we, God? We're going to show them then. They think that there's something, but all we have to do is wait for three days, and then we're going to shove it in their face, and we're going to show them who you really are, and when we show them who you really are, we're going to show them who we really are. All of a sudden, things don't sound so bad. <laughs> Jesus will do the sacrificing, and we'll be there to help him claim the victory on day three. We just got three days to wait. If we can just wait three days, if we can just put up with them with them mocking him and scourging him and, and ridiculing him and betraying him and falsely accusing him, if we can just put up with his suffering for three days, then he'll rise victorious and we'll all be happy. The Bible tells us that the very next thing to take place was A dear sweet mother of two of Jesus' favorite 
inner circle disciples, James and John, came and knelt at his feet with a request. Why do we kneel at somebody's feet? We show honor to them. We show humility. We show servant, a, a servant spirit. We're here to serve. If I, uh, if I kneel at your feet, when I knelt down at those people's feet and shoved their feet into a, a brand new set of shoes with a shoehorn, I, I, was, uh, I was serving them, right? I mean, it was obvious who was in charge there. I needed their business. They were in my shop. And so I was there to serve them in hopes that I could convince them that the the, the latest and greatest thing was now upon their foot and they would walk out and hand me a little bit of their money and I could go home and say, baby, we're eating out of Taco Bell tonight. You can get two tacos. She kneels down at Jesus' feet, but she, she didn't say, Jesus... We don't want you to go through that. Let one of my boys take your place instead. Let us us go to the cross for you. Let us take the scourging for you. Let us take the beating for you. Or at the very least, let us stand right by your side. We won't leave you. We won't let you go through this alone. We're going to be right there with you all the way. Let us stay with you. She doesn't say that. The premise is this, when you get done serving Jesus, when you get done sacrificing yourself, when you get done dying, when you're finished paying the price, when you get all those things behind you, and three days later, when you're the king, when you're in charge of everything, when you're making all the decisions, when you're not the servant anymore, but now you're being served, why don't you let my two boys, one stand at your right hand and one stand at your left, and lead with you? We all know that you love them most anyway. James and John, they were with their mother when she asked the question, so I highly doubt that they had no idea what she was about to say. Now, I have no proof of this, but I can just see this around the supper table or underneath the tree, wherever they were at. The conversation between these two sons and their mother, you know, and they're, they're kind of dropping hints, you know, and one of them finally looks over and says, Mom, you know, we know that Jesus loves us. We know that we're part of that inner circle, you know, uh, along with Peter. And he's constantly bringing us away from the others, the other, the other nine all the time anyway. So we know that he has more trust and confidence in us. And, and they're just a special relationship. But, Mom, be that as it may, we think that it would probably be more effective and we would probably get our way if you approached Jesus and asked him on our behalf. Who can say no to mom? Nobody says no to that lady. Not our kids. They love her. She's sweet and kind, and she serves her family. And so when she has a, when she has a request, if my children can do something about it, they take care of it. Who can say no to a mother? And so she asks... But the other disciples are obviously within earshot because they heard what was being said and they got mad. And they didn't get mad at, at, at mama. They got mad at the two other disciples. 
Who do you think you are? You're, you, you've always just tried to, uh, you know, brown nose with Jesus. You're always right there. Anytime that he has something going on, you're the first to raise your hand and volunteer. And you're always just trying. You know how that goes. We, we, we begin to point fingers at people that seem to have a, an, inside, uh, an inside road with somebody. And, and so they're looking at, at Jesus. Uh, they're looking at the other two disciples, James and John, and they're getting really upset with them. And uh, an argument ensues. And all of a sudden Jesus says you have no idea what you're even asking and even if I would do that you've got the whole reason for my being here in the first place all wrong they were all about him setting up the kingdom and becoming the king they were all about him being in charge and making the rules and making the laws and, and forcing others to do his bidding and serving him. And they said, we want to be a part of that. We don't care how much you have to sacrifice to make it happen. And Jesus takes this moment to speak a truth to his disciples about who he was and what the true mission of their ministry should be. And he says, whosoever desires to be great among you, I want to be great, Jesus. Oh, me. He's looking for helpers again. I want to help. I want to be right there. I want to be great because he's great. They, they, They got it. They had watched what he had done. They had seen the miracles, signs, and wonders. They, they had seen all these things take place. They, they believed in his mission, what he was going to do. They just didn't understand it completely. He says, whosoever desires to be great among you, and I can see all hands go up. That's me. I want to be great. Let him be your servant. And all of a sudden, the hands start coming down. You mean I got to serve? I've got to serve? You see, it's simply not the way this world works to be the giver. But Jesus said, I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Yes, yes. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Yes. And take up his cross and follow me. There is no such thing as a crossless Christian. That's right. That's right. If you're going to follow Him, it comes with the cost of the cross that you will carry. Yes. I'm just trying to be honest with you today. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Somebody needs to hear that scripture right there. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more important in this life your life, the one that you're living right now, than your soul. Right. That's right. That's right. A better job, a bigger house, a nicer car, a relationship, nothing is more important than where your soul is going to spend eternity. Nothing. Mm. 
Many years ago, there was a study conducted by the National Institute of Mental Health. They took a nine-square-foot metal container designed to comfortably house 160 mice. They started with eight mice. And as mice do, they began to multiply, and it multiplied until there were 2,200 mice living in this nine-by-nine container. Now, the interesting thing about this research that they were doing was that they fed these mice, they, they uh, gave them plenty to eat, plenty to drink, uh, they made sure that the, the temperature was, was controlled, they, they gave them everything, even if one of them got sick, there was, there was medicine that involved, you know, there were things that they, they did to, to make these mice as comfortable as they possibly could be in this nine by nine container. So they provided for them everything to keep them completely healthy everything to keep them completely comfortable. And for some time, the mice all played the roles. The males would protect their territory. The females would nurture her young. But as time went on and the colony of mice grew, with everything being given to them, a a change began to take place. All of a sudden, they no longer worked as a community. They began to break off into little segments, little cliques, little groups of about 12 mice per group. And they would begin to uh, not associate with, with the other mice. The males no longer protected their territory and their family. They no longer, they no longer were aggressive towards an intruder, but they became very passive. And the females, on the other hand, uh, became very aggressive, but so aggressive that they would kick their own young mice out of, of, the, of their, their little quadrant, uh, their little family, their little group of 12 before they were ready to go. And so the young mice found themselves without a place in the mouse society and became more self-indulgent. They ate, they drank, they slept, and they groomed themselves. Looking fly today. My whole mouse outfit here. All they ever did was take care of themselves. They didn't worry about their neighbor. They didn't worry about their colony. They didn't worry about their family. They just cared about themselves. They only served themselves. In five years' time, every single mouse of the 2200 was dead. Did they stop feeding them? No. Did they stop giving them water? No. Did they change their habitat? No. Nothing changed. The only thing that changed was the mindset, the culture became about them instead of about the colony. The simple truth is this. Serving is vital to this world functioning. You got food on the shelves, you better go shake the hand of a truck driver that's driven it here from wherever he's brought it from because we don't grow oranges and bananas here. A lot of stuff we don't get but we because we grow it here, but we get things from all over the world 
Because somebody serves us. When's the last time that, that we thank the person that was on the other side of the, the aisle that are just, I hope you're having a nice day today. Thank you. Because they are serving us. Serving is vital to function. Serving is vital to the church. Serving is vital to the family. Serving is vital to you as an individual. I said something earlier about being a man with a shoehorn and a purpose. And I said it kind of jokingly, but quite honest. If you don't know how to serve, you're not, you're not really fulfilling your purpose as a human being on this planet. And you're certainly not serving your purpose as being a child of God. Let me finish with this today as we very quickly come to a close if our music would come. Matthew 25 and 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. As much as this world will try to tell you that we're all just going to wind up in the same place, the Word of God declares that that is simply not true. That there is coming a time where the Lord is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick, or in prison, and came unto came unto thee. And, and right here in those words, it tells us so much about the character of the sheep. They're serving and they don't even realize the impact that they're having. It's just who they are. Every time you put a grocery bag together and you, put, you take the time and the care to put just our proper things in that bag and it looks so nice sitting back there and somebody walks through our door and that has a need and and I'm able to say we've got something that can help you this may not fix all your problems but at least you're not going to go hungry because somebody decided to serve every time your children or grandchildren walk over into the other side of this building and they go to a Sunday school class. 
And the adults in there, sometimes I, I know that they would probably much rather sit in here and listen to an adult Bible study, but they serve our children. And they teach them in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. Every time you stand at a door and shake a visitor's hand, you smile and you tell them, so good to have you. Or somebody that's maybe not been here a while, you send them a card and say, we sure are missing you. Or a telephone call just to say, I'm just calling to see how you're doing. You're serving. And the world is a better place with people that are willing to serve. Every time you give up a Saturday night, which I know you give up a lot of them, when you could be playing with those two boys, <laughs> but he's tucked away in his office somewhere and he's figuring out something to give us that's not just carbon copied someplace or plagiarized someplace. He's, he's got his nose in the books. He's got his nose in the book. He, he's putting his thoughts together and he's putting hours into it so he can stand behind a pulpit and deliver something that will feed this congregation and help us make it to heaven. You're serving. On and on and on and on we go. And as the pastor of this church, I don't believe there's anything that puffs me up, <laughs> makes me feel better, whatever you want to call it. Makes my heart swell more than when somebody walks in and just says, we just felt so welcomed here. <laughs> because it tells me something about you that you may not even know about yourself. Because it just comes so natural for so many that you have the heart to serve. And when you're serving others, you're serving Him. When saw you, Lord? When did we feed you? You fed me that time that I walked through your door and you handed me a Rosier's grocery bag <laughs> that got me through. When did we serve you, Lord? You served me that day that you saw an old veteran sitting there at McDonald's getting ready to order his food and you walked up and said I got you covered today you served me when you smiled at me across the aisle and said hope your day gets better I'm praying for you because when we serve each other we're serving him would you stand today Jesus finished by saying this in verse 40 and the king shall answer and say unto them Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. You're serving the small. You're serving the insignificant. Sometimes you're serving even those that don't seem to, it doesn't seem to even affect them. But in essence, you're serving the Creator of all that we know and all that is. Because when you serve them, you serve Him.
Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.